Hello and welcome to episode 103 of Sensational She Geek, live from Yancey Street. I am your host, Anna, and my husband, who will sometimes co-host, will be joining us at the end of the episode to talk TV, movies, and anime. The layout of today's episode is fairly standard. We start off with our tarot studies, which I like to do because um, I feel like, well, I mean, I mean it's, it's a known thing that uh, tarot is something that is kind of taken from ingrained stuff in humanity. You don't have to think anything esoteric about it at all for it still to be good advice. Um, so I like to go through the cards and kind of talk to them about them in a historical and realistic standpoint. Uh, we have quite a bit of history about this week's card, which is number 16, the tower. It's a very interesting card. We'll talk, uh, all the descriptions and meanings for pop culture. We have the Marvel tarot, the anime tarot, and two DC tarots, plus a couple of other pop culture fun references. I have a couple of mangas that I've been reading recently that I'll talk about before getting into comic books. We have a few points of comic book news, things that are becoming um, in November later uh, in this year. They've started announcing uh, what will be coming in November, and it's kind of some odd stuff, so we'll mention those. Before talking about the recent comic book reads and events, going through some fun things like the Avengers and Spirit World, Swan Songs, number two was fantastic. And then we'll cover the DC Night Terrors issues and a few from Marvel's Fall of X. We'll wrap up comics with things that are coming out new this week and just some general thoughts on Night Terrors so far. Before getting into the kind of short this week TV movies and anime segment, there's only a couple of things to discuss, such as Ahsoka starting next week, and that's very exciting. Um, and then Adam will come by to talk about Strange New Worlds, the Season 2 finale, as well as Harley Quinn Season 4, Episode 5. So that is the layout of today's episode. If you would like to find us on social media, all of our links to where you can find us are in the description, as well as a link to the Yancey Street Discord, which is where the two of us spend a lot of time. Uh, we'd love to have more people and invite have, you know, friend types joining in the group to hang out and talk about whatever we want, not just the podcast. That's not really what I made the community for. So, um, but anyway, you can find us online in various places and you can, uh, but I more recommend joining the Yancey Street Discord. Going ahead and jumping in with tarot, if you go to the podcast notes, which are linked in the description, you'll see the links of the sources where I found this information primarily from the tarotheritage.com site, which is a fantastic collection of information on history um, and modern takes on tarot cards. So starting with the history of the tower, we're going to go through some biblical stuff all the way up through uh, modern times for the history because it's it's a pretty interesting card. I think a lot of people favor this card because of its understandability. Um, so maybe, I don't know, you'll see what you think of it. Medieval artists often depicted horrific scenes resembling tower cards, showing sinners experiencing death and destruction as fire streamed down from heaven. These scenes usually illustrate Bible stories about the fate of people who disobeyed God, the Tower of Babel, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Apocalypse plagues in the Book of Revelations. Before we look at how those Bible stories inspired the tarot card, the tower card, let's consider the towers that were a common sight for Italians at the time tarot was invented. In the Middle Ages, every Italian town bristled with tall, skinny tower houses occupied by important families. Ruling families in every town and city constantly engaged in competitive one-upmanship, and the prize being the ability to look down on your neighbors from the lofty height of the tallest tower in the neighborhood. 
Undoubtedly, these towers were a symbol of pride and a justification for arrogance on the part of the families who built them, and watching the destruction of an unpopular family's tower was most likely a source of satisfaction to their enemies. Once a main tower falls, the defenders are vanquished and the old regime is gone. This could mean the disastrous end of an era or liberation from an entrenched conservative regime that had to be brought down by force. In Canto 31 of the Inferno, Dante Alighieri thinks he sees the tall towers of an Italian town in the twilight. Virgil tells him he is actually looking at giants buried up to their waists in the earth. One of the giants, Nimrod, yes, we're going to talk about comic Nimrod, can only babble nonsense. By confusing giants and city towers, Dante implies that both that they both embody excess pride and mindless arrogance. Now on the Marvel Nimrod, Nimrod is named after the biblical figure Nimrod, of course, who is the great-grandson of Noah, as in Noah and the Flood. This is defined by King James' version of the Bible in Genesis 10, 8-9. I always forget what those stand for. And he is described as a, quote, man of power in the earth and mighty hunter before the Lord. In the comics, Nimrod was created by the Sentinels. Uh, we're we're going to do the math here. Uh, if Nimrod in the Bible is the great-grandson of Noah, so we have uh, Nimrod was created by the Sentinels, his, that's what it would be, his father, who were created by Larry Trask, so that would be his grandfather. Uh, and Larry Trask is the mutant son of scientist Bolivar Trask, there's great-grandfather, who actually was the creator of the Sentinel Mark I and the Master Molds. So... In this sense, uh, Trask Sr., as in uh, Bolivar Trask, equates to Noah. I Actually, that's kind of cool. <laughs> um, we'll have more on the biblical version of Nimrod in a little bit. The tower card was most likely designed to illustrate God's anger in the form of destructive fire descending from heaven. Medieval illuminated manuscripts often contain depictions of four well-known Bible stories that featured God's fiery anger directed at humans, the apocalypse, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Job's trials, and the Tower of Babel. Revelation 16, 17-21 tells which, which tells how God commanded several, seven angels to pour the contents of their, quote, vials of the wrath of God into the air, resulting in plagues and disasters. The seventh angel's vial produced everything we see on the tower cards, lightning and thunder, earthquakes, and a plague of hail, with cities falling. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah relayed in Genesis 19, 24-26. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire. And the continuation of the story with Lot's wife, who looked back at the ruined city and was turned into a pillar of salt. There's a quote from chapter 16 of Revelations that might explain why there are either one or two sons in the corner of most tower cards. Revelation 16.8 says, And the fourth angel poured his vial upon the sun, and a power was given to him to scorch men with fire. Genesis 11.4-7 tells us that after the flood, Noah's descendants all spoke one language. They decided to build a city and a tower that would reach heaven to keep them united in one place. God felt threatened, so he confused their language. Since they couldn't understand one another, they stopped building the city and scattered over the earth. The Bible makes no mention of destruction, lightning, or people falling. The Tower of Babel is a Bible story most often associated with the Tarot Tower and may explain why people frothed from the tower in cards dating about 1500 and after. In the Bible story, the tower was not destroyed and no one fell from the tower, but an alternate version of the story seized the medieval imagination and was absorbed into folklore and art. 
there are enough renderings of the tower being destroyed by fire to show that this more violent version of the Babel story was alive in people's minds and imaginations. By the late 15th century, when the tarot tower cards started showing people falling headfirst, most card players would easily make the connection between the card and this version of the Babel story. The following people may have been inspired by the chapter in Genesis that immediately precedes the story of Babel and the chapter of Nimrod, uh, the character of Nimrod. Genesis 10, 8-12 describes Nimrod as, quote, a mighty one on earth and a mighty hunter. He built four cities in Mesopotamia, including Babel, so he became identified with a popular imagination as the architect of the Tower of Babel, and therefore an arrogant rebel against God. Nimrod was punished with a blast of lightning that that threw him from the tower. In the mid-17th century, French tarot solidified into the Tarot de Marseille pattern. The Tarot de Marseille tarot tower card was always labeled La Maison Dieu. Maison Dieu, meaning God house, referred to a hospital or hospice for the indignant. Indigent. Indigent. <laughs> indignant. It was also a way station for pilgrims. For most people who ended up at a Maison Dieu, it was the final catastrophe, the last stop before being released from their mortal body. Even though the card's name changed, the image remained, the image remained a tower and does not look like a hospital. The three windows in the tower may have been associated with the legend of St. Barbara, who was imprisoned in a tower by her father. After converting to Christianity, she had three windows cut into the tower to represent the Trinity. After she escaped, it was her father, not the tower, who was incinerated by lightning. The French occultist and ceremonial magician Eliphas Levi, whose name you'll recognize by now if you've been keeping up, said the card probably depicts the Tower of Babel, as we've discussed, and the two people falling out of the tower are Nimrod and a false prophet. Levi pointed out that the body of the person falling in front of the tower forms the Hebrew letter Ayin, which I think is a stretch. He interpreted the card as meaning a reversal of fortune or the punishment for pride. Oswald Wirth, an influential occultist who lived a generation after Levi, again, you should recognize his name if you've been keeping up, designed a deck to illustrate occult principles and was the first to put Hebrew letters on the cards. We see the letter I in, in the bottom of the right corner. The yellow objects falling from the sky, mingled with the bricks, are not flames, according to Worth, but Yods, the first letter of God's name in Hebrew. Worth called his card fire from the sky and said the high tower attracts lightning that emanates from the sun of reason. One of the falling people is a fanciful idealist, the other is an architect whose structure collapses with him, evidently a reference to Nimrod. The tower embodies energy that hardened into dogma, as well as exaggerated ambition that will inevitably lead to some hard lessons. A.E. Waite, another familiar name, refers to the tower as the house of doctrine and the house of falsehood. The people, the people falling from it are atheists and heretics who deny spiritual realities. The king's crown being knocked off the top of the tower denotes the, quote, downfall of intellectual error committed when trying to understand God's ways. Next is the card appearance and description. The tower card's appearance hasn't changed much over the centuries, but it's been given more names than any other tarot card. We know from literary sources of the 15th and 16th centuries that this card was called Arrow, Fire, Lightning, and the House of the Devil. In later centuries, it was known as La Maison Dieu, the God's House, and the Tower. The tower shows a tall tower perched on the top of a rocky mountain. Lightning strikes set the building alight, and two people leap from the windows, head first and arms outstretched. It is a scene of chaos and destruction. The tower itself is a solid structure, but because it has been built on shaky foundations, it only takes one bolt of lightning to bring it down. 
It represents ambitions and goals made on false premises. Promises or premises? I'm honestly not sure which one he meant. The lightning represents a sudden surge of energy and insight that leads to a breakthrough of a revelation. It enters via the top of the building and knocks off the crown, symbolizing energy flowing down from the universe through the crown chakra. These people, the people are desperate to escape from the burning building, not knowing what awaits them as they fall. Around them are 22 flames, representing the 12 signs of the zodiac and 10 points of the tree of life, suggesting that even in times of disaster, there is always divine intervention. As for the more interpretive meanings, A.E. Wait, go classic uh, emo Amy Wait, A.E. Wait. He's like an emo kid from 2006, but he was like 1910, so go figure. He says the tower stands for misery, distress, indigence, adverse, adversity, calamity, disgrace, deception, and ruin. It is a card in particular of unforeseen catastrophe. Reversed, it stands for negligence, absence, distress. Distribution, carelessness, distraction, apathy, nullity, and vanity. A more modern take on these phrasings, upright meaning sudden change, upheaval, chaos, revelation, and awakening, and reversed, personal transformation, fear of change, or averting disaster. A survey of contemporary tarot authors reveals a range of interpretations, most of them psychological. The tower is often seen as an edifice constructed from strategies for shoring up the ego with things like expensive toys and social media fame. There is no works when lightning strikes and you lose your job, you get evicted, or your relationship falls apart, and the perfect life you've presented to the world falls into ruins. The authentic life you denied or repressed can turn demonic and erupt with volcanic force. It demands that you break free and radically change your life. This can lead to a gloriously renewed, authentic life or a descent into chaos. You know, I kind of can relate to that myself, just as a, as a sidebar. Um, you know, the authentic life you denied or represented can turn demonic and erupt with volcanic forces. I've recently had some uh, stuff that has uh, <laughs> affected me at my work, and that has really, uh, my day job has really caused me to have to um, frankly insist that I, I I need to change what I'm doing and how I'm doing it there uh, with management, um, or I'm going to basically break, which is what I did for myself a few years ago, working 50 plus hours in restaurants. So don't recommend that. But anyway, maybe this is my a smaller, less chaotic version of my own tower. Continuing on now, sorry. <laughs> on the positive side, the lightning strike could be a flash of creative inspiration a mystical insight, or a moment of clarity that shows you exactly what you need to do. If disaster happens, we can reframe it as the universe taking away baggage that we didn't need anyway. The fallen people had their reality turned on its head, but now they are free from limiting and self-sabotaging ideas and are falling toward a new and better life. After a tower experience, you will grow stronger, wiser, and more resilient as you develop a new perspective on life you did not even know existed. These moments are necessary for your spiritual growth and enlightenment, and truth and honesty will bring about a positive change, even if you experience pain and anxiety through the process. Starting off the pop culture segment, we're going to talk Marvel Tarot, Anime Tarot by Natasha Iglesias, the GC and the Justice, uh, the DC and Justice League Tarots, which are the same character, which is pretty fun, and then JoJo and Harry Potter, and we'll get to our summary. 
But starting with uh, the Marvel Tarot, the 2007 journal of this magical dude, magical adjacent dude, who goes through the one tarot, which is this magical Marvel Tarot, and uh, sees what characters they assign, each card is assigned to. And for the Tower card, the character is none other than Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll know that I am a massive fan of Patsy Walker and Hellcat. Um, I actually did a special edition podcast episode about her, entirely about her. Um, I've read so much. (laughs) I've done masses of amounts of research on Patsy, um, and I'll have that link in the description if you want to listen to that podcast episode about her. Um, it's got a good amount of insight and stuff as somebody who has, like, put together decades and decades of stories and seeing what the outcome of all of that, what her character kind of is based on all of that. So you can check all of that out. Um, what the journal, the fictional Marvel Tarot journal, says about her. The Tower card is about disaster and devastation. I can't think of anyone out there who has survived more turmoil than Patsy Walker. Hellcat has literally been through hell. Her attempt to find her place as a hero led her to a disastrous relationship with Damon Hellstrom, which ended with her suicide. She fought her way out of the depths of hell, only to struggle again to find her place in the world above. I heard a rumor that she is working with a little widow named Claire, and the two of them are investigating occult crimes. Give those spooks hell, Patsy. And I, um, when I was collecting all this information, I kind of had to, uh, make a little note here that I will repeat now for you guys. Uh, this is, I, I think it's a totally different take. Um, the, the other half of this that we're kind of see a really very simplified version and we'll talk about more in the Justice League and DC Tarot, um, the whole, the concept of one bad day that comes from, of course, the killing joke, um, one bad day can cause a person to, you know, everything to flip on its head, blah, blah, blah. And that's the concept that they kind of take to put that character into the tower card for the Justice League and DC tarots. For Patsy Walker, it is it is uh, kind of a different take on that concept, the, that the one bad day concept that everything else pretty much connects with. Patsy didn't really have one bad day or one moment that changed everything. She had a very long downhill adjacent slide into literally hell culminating in the reveal of her husband as the son of the actual devil which snapped her mind for good but that was after 10 plus years of her being more and more secluded in the comics secluded not just from the public but from the things that mattered to her most in her life her friends undisputedly if you've gone back and read those comics that is something that stands out stronger than anything patsy's friends are the best part of her life And you see it when you're going through those years of comics, her marriage to Damon and their subsequent paranormal investigation business that they started together. While it seems positive on the surface, it draws her more and more away from everyone in her life until the point that she literally has no one around her to turn to in her seclusion. It's just Damon. In that sense, there isn't a whole lot in common with the Hellcat uh, and the tarot card. It's more of a constant struggle. Um, or a slow or slow U-turn kind of situation. But if you do want to play dumb and not take all of that extra history into account, you could technically claim that Patsy did have one bad day when she saw Damon's true form and went mad, especially now that she's back on top and adding a lot more mythology to her story 
the tower kind of connects even less to her as a character. Maybe the more of a, you win some, you lose some, than just a, any bad moment can happen at any time and completely change your life. Now for the Natasha Iglesias anime tarot, um, the character or the uh, the archetype that she assigns the tower to is the narrative or magical abomination. What she says about it is, the tower's analog in anime is the magical or narrative abomination. These abominations often warp reality. They're incomprehensible and do not subscribe to general logic and rules. Characters rarely have any idea what the motives of the abominations are. But whatever or not these intent, whether or not these intentions are made known, an abomination's arrival ensures that chaos, upheaval, and change will occur. Dealing with the abomination is often the only way for characters to move forward. She says that these types of abominations appear in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood as the Gate, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure as Vento Areo, Attack on Titan as the Founding Titan, The Ancient Magus's Bride as Ashen Eye and Cartaphilus and Rosario plus Vampire as Alucard. I also have in my podcast notes a link to tropedia.fandom.com where they have quite a number of um, references to what they call Eldric Abominations um, in anime and manga. I think, actually, they're pretty much strictly anime. I also have a Ranker website link talking about the different Eldritch Abominations in anime that they really enjoy. Um, it's pretty much the same as the Magical Narrative Abomination. What, what the definition from that site says is abominations are entities that are so bafflingly terrifying that they're near impossible for humans to comprehend. Think a giant tentacle monster with hundreds of eyes that comes from another dimension and you're on the right track. While Eldritch Abominations in anime are usually comprehensible due to the anime's visual nature, these creatures can still get pretty horrifying. It's pretty much the same thing that Natasha Iglesias says in her own definition for the deck. Um, but I do, I, I think that's a really fun uh, way, a fun correspondence to have uh, in the anime tarot for the tower card. Over at the Justice League and DC Tarot as two separate decks, one is official and one is not, they both agree on, the creators both agree on one character, which I think will make a lot of sense as based on what I've already said. That is going to be the Joker. Um, we all know, or many of us I know are familiar with the everyone can have that one bad day and just snap. That more or less comes from the killing joke, and DC Comics has done a lot in the past year to really strengthen that as, like, a commonality in DC, or in, I guess you would say, Cape Comics. Um, they're putting out all of the, they call them the Batman One Bad Day, they're like one-shots, but it's for, like, all of the different Bat villains. So Catwoman had one, you know, Joker obviously had one. I'm pretty sure they're just one-shots, not two or three. Um, but it's for a bunch of, like, Penguin had one, you know, a bunch of different uh, Batman villains did that. So they're trying to kind of cash in on that whole concept of one bad day. Um, kind of like, it, it, not to be confused with one more day, um, which, you know, is is obviously Marvel and Spider-Man and different, but somehow strangely similar. <laughs> oh, also, it's worth noting that the in the comics back, you know, in the 90s or whatever, the day the Justice League was taken out, that story is called the Tower of Babel. So there we go back into the whole thing. Nimrod, I still think the Nimrod great-grandfather reference uh, to Bolivar Trask being Noah, Noah in the Ark, I still think that's pretty fun. Um, so yeah, Tower of Babel, Justice League. 
other pop culture references for the tower. Obviously, we've, we've talked about JoJo's Bizarre Adventures, Stardust Crusaders, and the powers known as Stands. The tower stand belongs to Greyfly, who is a minor antagonist. Also, uh, fuck J.K. Rowling, but Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince has Sybil Trelawney. Professor Trelawney uses um, the tower card to accurately predict the death of Albus Dumbledore, although she's unaware of that at the time. Um, yeah, that's, that's a very literal interpretation of the tower card, I guess you could say. Um, though, though in another sense, it's, it's, for, for Dumbledore himself, it's a literal interpretation of the tower, he falls from the tower. Uh, but for, I guess, the rest of the Harry Potter universe, it's actually very much this more broad, um, changes are coming, big changes are coming kind of prediction. So that still works. As for our summary here, before we move on to manga, we have a lot more control over our environment and the circumstances of our lives than our medieval ancestors. In previous centuries, when bad things happened, people usually blamed outside forces like God, the devil, or witches. These days, we often look within and ask how we may have brought our problems on ourselves. The Tower card is the bolt out of the blue that creates chaos and ruin, or liberates us from a bad situation. It can be the product of blind fate or the result of a stunning insight that compels us to radically change our lives. I'd like to talk a little bit about the mangas that I've been reading recently, new chapters of things. Superman vs. Meshi number 3 is the uh, DC Superman manga that they're reprinting now in English for the first time. And it's very cute. It's all Superman and his appetite. Yes, that was my doorbell. Superman versus food, or rather, and his appetite. Um, this issue, number three, the last issue was taking um, Clark and involving food at his workplace. Now this is Superman and food at his workplace, aka with the Justice League. Uh, he ends up at a chain restaurant in Japan and actually accidentally gets the All-Star Tempura Bowl, which is funny because of the All-Star Superman reference, obviously. Um, and he was like, kind of like, oh, this isn't what I wanted, but then he ends up loving it better anyway. So he calls it the Justice League of Tempura Bowls and assigns each member a different piece of tempura that they are like. He finishes the rice with the pickled veggies and sauce and then brings six more of them to go to the rest of his team members. Very cute. Uh, another one I'm reading online is an Otaku and an Otaku's Giaru Live Life Together. I'm not sure if that's the official English title. I'm reading a scanlation, to be honest. Basically about an Otaku on a budget. In this issue, uh, Hishikawa Moe has dinner with the pair, and it's a savings competition dinner. Hinata Reno's dinner was cheap, but took a lot of time to make, and Hishikawa's was takeout, but gave her more time to do what she called important things, like start her own business and be, get better at life. And so um, that's why she said that she won, was because she, she did better at saving resources, which was time. <laughs> Uh, then she confesses, or she confuses them for being a thruple because he's obsessed with his idol. So they start talking about the idol, and they're like, "Oh my god, is that his his other girlfriend?" It's really funny. I'm also trying to catch up on the Angel Next Door Spoils Me Rotten, and I'm in love with the Villainess because that one is getting an anime later this year. Comic book news brings us four points of topic. Uh, two of them are kind of odd. Aaron, uh, Jason Aaron is doing Batman Off-World in November from DC. It's not the main Batman line, but it's a new Batman line uh, that is going to be run by Jason Aaron, who's been pretty much doing uh, 
some indie stuff, but mostly Marvel stuff the past 5-10 years, so that'll be interesting. We're also going to see from Christopher Cantwell, Thanos versus the Illuminati. I'm not sure what to think of that, to be frank, but we'll see how it goes. Um, over in Spider-Man land, however, Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman, is going to be kicking off a new series in the Spider-Man series, because I guess that's just what they like doing now. Um, like how they did all that with Ms. Marvel, and now they're doing it with Jessica. It's not her dying. No one's dying as far as we know. It's her baby getting stolen. Happy stuff, right? Good job, Spider-Man series. Um, so yeah, I guess another Spider-Woman series is entirely about trauma, so cool. Uh, and then there's this other thing that's happening at Marvel, uh, we'll have to talk about. And I'm bringing Bat Batman. Oh my god, I'm bringing Adam into this one uh, because he has a little bit of input. He knows more about this story, but uh, presumably in November, because that's when they're kind of putting out information for new stuff now. Um, we're, we're revisiting a notorious Spider-Man story. Would you like to explain Dark Reign Spider-Man, Adam? AKA the Come Story. Uh, not even joking. I wish it weren't true. But it, it is. There's it's so many levels to it. Uh, so the gist of it is is that this is an Elseworlds Spider-Man uh, that him and him and MJ do end up happily together, whatever. But I think what's I think they're around fifty years old. Um, Mary Jane gets uh, cancer, but it's it's just the it's, it's ingrained in my memory because it was such a scarring thing to read, like you know, early on. It, they made they made it specifically. It was rectal cancer that she had from Peter's radioactive semen. Mm-hmm. Like, those are literally the things they said in the book was the reason why she got it. So guess what happens? She dies from that, and then Peter dons the back, black suit again, and is all... But he's 50 years old wearing the black suit. Really just, like, off-putting story. Um, it's notorious for being just really bad and really a product of the era of, like, the mid-2000s of, like, it wasn't good writing. It was like let's just write like as dark shock value. Yeah, let's just write like dark fucked up shit to be edgy and call it adult. Um, which is cue why Marvel did the heroic age in like what was it two thousand eight where they were like mm-hmm. yeah no more nasty yeah. villain stories we're just gonna like just true heroic yep. guys doing stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's like this and the the sins past storyline and of course one more day but everybody knows one more day but sins past is the other one where it's like. They, thank God Nick Spencer retconned that, but basically it was Norman got Gwen pregnant. And so, like, these two are, like, up there, and it was, like, really bad. So I have... N- and they're very specifically saying this is going to be a sequel to it. Um, <laughs> if you've seen the cover, it's, like, Peter's there, and it's, like, I took it as, like, a metaphor of, like, MJ's dead ghost over him. But then you pointed out that his gray beard, and I was like, oh, yeah, he was a lot older. And I was like, oh, my God. Saying to her jokingly that... He's probably gonna with he's because this universe never had one more day. So what he's probably gonna do is make a deal with Mephisto to bring back MJ's body, and this is him carrying her body through the town. Completely not. Apparently, like the first couple of pages leaked or something, and that's literally what it is. Like page one, and it's like it's not darkened out. He's literally carrying the corpse of MJ. So that's probably <laughs> that's probably what it's gonna be. He's gonna go make some dumbass deal with Mephisto because Marvel has his heart on for saying no. Because probably after Spider-Verse, they're like, one more day, somehow, some way, is a canon event for every Spider-Man. You know what the story is? The the original one about her getting cancer because of them having sex? Mm-hmm. That is 100% 
Someone who heard that thing about, oh, Superman can't have sex with humans because he totally gets oh to be God. like Buckshot. They heard that and were like, dude, I want to write that story. I got to figure out a way to write that story. And this was the closest thing they could come up to in their ability was the Spider-Man equivalent of that. And, and, and I think this one kind of just, to me, really sets it home that Nick Lowe is just not fit, period, for, for being an editor in the Spider-Man office. And and the fact that he got he got Mayday and Ann Parker mixed up just shows that he shouldn't be there, period. And then just giving stories like this sequels is just even more so like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, I, it's just really the tone deaf and off-putting and just bad, like everything you can say about it. It's just, why are people like this in charge of things? So is it safe to say you're not looking forward to this one? I don't think I'm going to read this period. I'm already like on my... We'll read the spark notes. Yeah, I'm already kind of on my wits end with the Amazing Spider-Man book, but I'm like, I, I'm going to read number 31 and see how it goes. And then after that, that'll be my deciding if I'm finally going to take it off my pull list because it seems like Zeb Wells is there to stay for <laughs> for now. Like, I don't, I don't know. But yeah, it's kind of... It's, it's such a polarizing book because there's so much outside, you know, things on it when an actual good writer who could really come in and change the book like Chib Zarsky straight up says, I don't want to do it because the fans and editorial, like, maybe some things just need to change. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's a really good insight. Oh. So we'll go ahead and go through stuff that I read this week. Um, some really fun indie stuff. We'll start there. The Madness number one was... Not what I expected in the slightest, but it was really good. It's it's this woman who has some superpower, and I guess they kind of explain it in the end with concept art displays. Um, she goes from herself, a woman called Sarah, into it's like four different. It's four versions, and the first version is Sarah, and then you get the next one, which is like Sarah in the Raven outfit, and then the next one is the Raven character who has like this darker hair, um, and who's clearly like got some like skin differences, like her her power up look is different. And then uh, beyond that Raven one is where she like snaps and like the whole thing takes over and it's called the madness. So uh, she's like, a, she's a lifelong thief. Um, she, I, I think it's, I don't think it's her child by birth. I think it's her boyfriend's child because the two of them are talking about getting married and there was some other context clues that makes me think that was the boyfriend's child. And she's just now, she's like the stepmom, but that's just, how, she's, it's like her kid. It's that close. Um, but anyway, they come out to, she like does this final big job with her powers, seals this crazy, whatever it was shit. And, uh, the government finally gets a hold of where she is, gets wind of where she is and they bomb it. Um, except for the fact that they don't realize that, She's not there alone. She's there with the boyfriend and child. Um, so they send, I guess superhumans are like a normal thing in this world. So they send one of the superhumans who, on their Justice League team, version of the Justice League Avengers, we know, whatever it might be. Um, he flies in the nuke so that she can't hear the plane coming if it's a plane or anything like that. Uh, so he flies it in and drops it on the cabin and she wakes up and everything around her is completely destroyed. And she's like, they, they did a great job of draw of, of displaying the like the trauma of like, no, 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 they're not gone. They can't be gone. What they can't like that was the only good thing I had. That was the one thing I was holding on to in life. And then when she lifts her head back up, it's the madness, whatever that might be. And it's like it says something around like Sarah's not here anymore and then runs off into the burnt out woods. So naked. So it's gonna probably go kill a bunch of people. I'm kinda down for that. 
Um, Christopher, no, Christopher Priest. I was going to say Campbell. Christopher Priest, I didn't realize it until yesterday, and I, I read it real quick. Continued the Vampirella and Dracula arc that he's been doing since Unholy. He, see, he did Unholy. He did Year One. And now I think it's this one, Vampirella Dracula Rage. Um, it's pretty good. It kind of ends-ish with, like, is the baby dead or not? It's because that was the whole thing when she was pregnant in year one and was telling the whole story of her first time on Earth to the baby before it's born. And then in this one, it's Dracula's baby and all these people are trying to, are trying to kill it and it may or may not be dead. She's convinced it's not, and so she steals a bunch of babies from the hospital thinking one of them's her son she doesn't know which one it's, it's interesting christopher preetz is always a wild card when it comes to vampirella and i'm honestly kind of down for that because that's a lot of what the character feels like for me um Anosenti's captain marvel dark tempest was mid like the first issue but i like carol so i'm gonna see what happens uh the villains that we learn about in this one are nada and nitro nada is magical and nitro burns and then carol gets taken by some weird goopy stuff at the end. Avengers number four, everybody gets beaten and ends with Falcon Cap and Black Panther. It's not Falcon comma Cap, it's Falcon Cap and Black Panther on the, uh, what they call the impossible city, which turns out to be sentient and very much aware that they're there. Silk number four, we have Beast Saya. Saya is the villain. She's turned into the beast. Uh, we get some of the villain backstory for her and her father and everything. Her own brother can't snap her out of it, and so Saya goes after Albert next. Albert is with Wong, and I believe Silk finally got out as well. So they're all together, but now Saya is going to attack them in beast form, so that's no good. Spirit World number four, Xanthe, Xanth or Xanthe, somebody please tell me. Uh, she's, they save the neighborhood, and they want to go to the Jade Council or something like that for help. I'm not really sure what the Jade Council is yet, but it's mystical. Also, Cass and John get mildly possessed by something, so good for them, or not, bad for them, actually. Swan Songs number two was fantastic. It's, as we said last time, it's an anthology series. I didn't realize it was an anthology series of a bunch of different endings, not just, like, this one... Like, this one was The End of a Marriage, and it had Caspar Wingard art, which I've been mentioning a lot recently. He is utterly fantastic. I will read anything he does art on. Mm. Um, really, really good. It had the, like, the divorce case. It was, it was like, um, scenes of their divorce court case, court going back and forth, and then going into, like, alternate reality versions of the two of them battling it out. Like, one of them was the two of them as, like, knights uh, in the Middle Ages, like, fighting each other in the, in the rink. And then there was another one, I don't really remember what it was, but it was, like, all the different versions of them battling it out and then remembering back on when they got together and where things started to go wrong. It was really well done. Um, this this author, this is like the third anthology series that he's done based around certain things. He did Ice Cream Man, and then whatever the one was before that, that I can't remember what it was called, that was equally popular. Um, this is the third one he's done now, and it's absolutely brilliant. This is clearly exactly what this guy was meant to write, was stories like this. Uh, for Night Terrors, we've got a couple of different two shots, uh, the, the two of two for the characters, um, but also Night Terror's main series number three, which sees Robin showing up, Damian Wayne Robin, um, and it just kind of ends in, continued in the horrible truth about insomnia. I don't know what that means. Is that an issue title? Is that 
a substory in an issue. It didn't say. I have no idea what that is. I haven't seen anything about an issue called The Horrible Truth About Insomnia showing up. Is that issue four? <laughs> it was really just editing and did not do a very good job with making that make sense. But then for the two shots, we have Green Lantern number two, which is a lot of drama, and then him waking up saving a planet that's dying. And then Robin number two, which was more Jason and Tim. They both wake up and get on comms to find each other. Shazam number two, Mary saves the kids from their bad dreams. The Flash number two, Barry ends up being the monster that killed Wally, as I assumed. And then Wally saves him IRL in the end. And then Zaytana number two, she tricks all the monsters, saves Cliff, and gets the heck out of there. Um, Fall of X, all I read this week was Children of the Vault number one and Immortal X-Men number 14. I gotta say I was surprised Children of the Vault I actually did really enjoy. That was something that I really, really wanted Hickman to follow up on because he really spearheaded that with the X-Men. Um, but whatever. It's just, I really like this first issue. They're kind of doing exactly what it looks like the X-Men just did to humanity, which is, like, infecting them with their, like, helpful stuff, but we're in the, under the guise of it being good, but it's actually bad. That's what it looks like the mutants just did, but the Children of the Vault are actually doing it, so I don't know how they're going to differentiate that. And then Immortal X-Men was, um, they're busy saying that all the X-Men are dead, all the mutants are dead. I guess 250,000 of them landed in a random desert with Hope, Exodus, and Destiny. I have no idea where that came from. I thought they were all dead. What is it with, like, every 10 or 15 years, like, Marvel has this, like, Bardon for, like, killing Dude, all mutants? That's what I, that's literally what I was saying on the last episode, was I'm so tired it's exhausting. We've seen this three or four times now. It's like the third or fourth time. This is not it's, original. It's not interesting. It's not shocking, even. It, like it, it just it really feels like shit. Uh, we're at the bottom of the barrel. Let's do Old Faithful. The only thing I'm waiting on next is like a bunch of Sentinels to show up, and I swear to God, if that happens next, no, it's it's already happened. Okay, well, because there you the go. Sen the Sentinels have been taken over by Iron Man Tech, and the guy who owns the Iron Man like rights or whatever is is an Orcus dude, and so he used the Iron Man Sentinels to attack Krakoa. It was oh. literally the, it was just a re it was a it's a redo of the last time that this happened. <laughs> Man, yeah, okay, well there you go. Uh, going into what's new this coming week, we have some fun kickoffs of things, including uh, Disney villains Hades number one because I've been enjoying the Maleficent series, which I have one issue behind. I need to read that third issue. The Cold number one is another indie. We're getting another issue of the Maleficent, uh, issue number four. Then Invincible Iron Man Annual, Marvel's Voices X-Men, and then The Many Death of Deaths of Layla Starr are getting reprinted in the pen and ink, just black and white version, which I'm not going to lie, I might get. Uh, then we have The Penguin number zero, which is a Tom King thing, I think. Antarctica number two, I read about that one. We talked about it when the first issue came out. It's actually a pretty interesting concept. Queen of Swords, a barbaric story number two, is a spinoff of Barbaric. Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Redder number two. Hawkgirl number two, Red Sony number two, Loki three, and Something Epic number four. For the Fall of X at Marvel, they're doing number ones of Alpha Flight, Uncanny Avengers, and my personal favorite I've been looking forward to, Dark X-Men. Why? Battle of Okay. And then Night Terrors... We'll have the final two shots. It's going to be Superman, Punchline, Nightwing, and Catwoman. And I made a little note here. I know I mentioned earlier I was going to mention my thoughts on Night Terror so far. It's been disappointing. 
Uh, I know when this started, I was going to say it was going to be these two shots of being good introductions to the characters. That prediction is not correct, and it's really sad to say that. It really turned out to be... Um, after a lot of these, a lot of these two shots of these characters, you you do need to know some serious background on the character. It's easy for stuff like Batman and Superman, who is pretty much like a pop culture icon who everybody knows, but others, even Catwoman's, it doesn't have enough explanation. If you haven't been keeping up with her series, very very recently or for like many many years, it doesn't really work out for new readers in any way that I can see. Um, and that's, that's a big failure because that's what future state was. It was supposed to bring in new readers and it really, really did. And I thought that's what this was going to be too, but I don't see any room for new readers in this. And I feel like that's just a bad comic event. If you, if a new reader can't jump in on it. So that leaves us with the shows and movies, uh, TV, anime, movies, etc. There's not too much news. I already mentioned Ahsoka is going to start next week. Um, we'll be covering that episodically, so it'll probably not be the next episode that we'll be talking about it, but the one after that, since I have made it through a minor depressive episode and I'm doing them regularly again. Um, so Ahsoka next week, possibly two weeks for the podcast discussion of it. Uh, but then in Destiny news, in pop culture news, we have the character of Zavala has been recast for Destiny. Would you like to talk about Adam? About yeah, that? um... I know it's like if anybody who plays her has like any kind of like loose idea, um, Destiny's kind of like a weird like a state right now. But mm-hmm. I, you know, but this was like the one thing where I saw across the board everybody was like, "Fuck yes, this is a great casting." Uh, they picked Keith David. Um, you know who if, he is. You may not if, know the name, but you know who he is. If if you're a '90s kid, Gargoyles, he was Goliath, the main character. Uh, and if you're like a super like edgy 90s kid he was spawn um and then he also and the thing that, that i was like oh okay this works out is that he also did quite a few voices he was also in the thing the original the thing with uh kurt russell that great horror movie um oh yeah but he's also the reason why this kind of made sense and worked out really well is the fact that he did do a few voiceovers in the halo series and the games as well so he's like already got a good history with bungie as well um but yeah, I, I just think he's a great actor, and definitely if you're going to pick somebody to take the place of somebody as, in my opinion, iconic and as well-rounded and as much of a thespian as Lance Riddick, this is the perfect choice. Um, and I've always been a fan of Keith David for this, so it's just great that they were like, that they picked this. Um, and the woman who voices Ikora has actually been wanting to work with Keith David on a project, so it's kind of funny. She's like getting her wish almost in a way with this as well. You've known him, his voice, he likes Spawn, as we said, he was in Hercules, he's been in Adventure Time, um, Princess Mononoke, Mononoke, which I always say wrong, he was in Community, obviously not his voice acting, Gargoyles, Prince and the Frog, Coraline, Rick and Morty, he's been in a lot of stuff, you definitely, if you don't recognize him, you'll recognize his voice, um, and, yeah, and as like a casual, I guess casual Destiny fan, that's very clearly... The, the correct choice. So that leaves us with the current TV shows we've been watching. Uh, this episode we're talking the Strange New Worlds finale and Harley Quinn season 4 episode 5 titled Getting Ice Dick Don't Wait Up. I th- it's kind of funny. Um, doesn't make as much sense as previous titles. But Strange New Worlds season finale called Hegemony 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 
Hege- hegemony? Hegemony or hegemony? I have no clue. Okay, hegemony. I don't think it's a yeah, hegemony. Hege- it's, it's jit, right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is back to the Gorn, which I gotta... I gotta make a list of... Not even kidding. Sci-fi villain names, because it's like G's and R's. What is it with that? You get the Ravagers, you get the Gorn, you get whatever it is. Ravagers actually in multiple universes, including the DC universe and the Marvel universe. Go figure. Um, you get whatever the one is from um, uh, from Firefly. That was something like along the same lines as Ravagers. Like, what is it with all of these? Oh, and then I think also. I think there was also one in um, Battlestar Galactica, too. They all just, like, are these groups of, like, sci-fi. And then Romulans in Star Mm. Trek. Like, come on, guys. Somebody come up with a new name. (laughs) But anyway. uh, Which one was this? The Gorn. I'm I'm very fascinated by the Gorn. I don't know if they're in main Star Trek continuity. No idea. Um, But I'm fascinated by it because they're, like, little bugs. They're, like, skittery little lizard bugs who fight for dominance like wild animals, but then somehow at the same time have enough planning ability and technological capability to destroy like entire planets and cities at a time without like really anybody ever putting up a fight. Um, it's, it's an interesting concept. And then they went into the ship in this one and it's like their ship is very humanoid. Like it's very intelligent and it's not like a barnyard the way you might expect these things would live in, but it's, it's kind of crazy. It's the duality of the Gorn, I would love to see kind of stepped into more. Like, are there intelligent enough ones? Well, we do know they did send a message in this episode. They sent a message to the ship. Mm-hmm. And it was a photo. It was a, it was a digital photo of the, like, the, the barrier line where the Starfleet is allowed to go and where the Gorn are allowed to go and the line between them. And so obviously that was like, they sent a threat saying, if you cross this line without actually saying anything. And apparently the Gorn aren't known to, like, communicate like that with people but for whatever reason at that point they did and I thought they were going to go into it a little bit more they probably will in the other half of it because it ended with a to be continued because of course um but it's interesting how they're so feral but also somehow very intelligent I don't know I want to see that explored a little bit more um there's there's so many there's so many, um, like the Romulans, they, they don't know anything about, basically, at this point in Star Trek, right? For Strange New Worlds, they had, the end of the last season, they had the thing where they went forward in time and learned stuff about the Romulans. So they really don't know anything. There's a lot of mystery at this point in Star Trek. Um, I feel like in a way that there isn't in a lot of the newer stuff, or in the other, other series, I guess. I don't know. What did you think about the finale, Adam? I really enjoyed it. Um, I think the Gorn are like kind of uh, Star Trek's um, aliens, like oh, like very, alien from Alien. Yeah, from like very Ridley Scott esque. Uh, the gotcha. especially the fact that like that the makes way sense. the the way that I took it I, and I the way they I, breed, obviously. <laughs> yeah, the way I took it, I could be completely wrong. Is that you know they have them, they bite and they plant the seeds, and then a 
uh, basically like or the spit, yeah, yeah, or the spit, and it gets into your 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 DNA, and basically like a family is born via you, and yeah, they come that's at you. What it seems like, and so what it seems like is that I'm thinking is that you know whatever that batches or whatever comes out, whatever one comes out leading of that gets to move up into the hierarchy of their society because just like as you said, we do see one in a fucking spacesuit, like mm-hmm. dude, like it was like actually made for their body with their they even protective had protective like, gear, yeah, yeah. Protect, even had their tail intact, even had like the visor so they could yep. see and the one that was obviously maneuvering around he was just trying he knew what the he, he was trying to break into somewhere yeah he knew what it was he just didn't know the code so it's very it shows that like what I think is that like they start out like these barbaric little like and if they lizards. last long enough and if they last long enough the probably the parts of their brain with the higher function starts to form and then that's how they kind of move up in their society in that kind of way that's it's, it's definitely it. either yeah. that or the whole thing of the bloodlines like like let's yeah. say there's a king, the king's True. bloodline are it's, all going to be intelligent. Yeah, some some crap like that, you know. I could see that as well. I highly yeah, doubt they have like a king, but just as an example. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it, it yeah, I'm more interested in the Gorn. I really I'm I'm really excited that they've kind of like showed up a few times this season, and that they they weren't you know hiding from the fact that like these things are dangerous and they are a big deal. Um, they took away one of the the, the the crew members earlier in the season. That was last yeah. season. Oh, that was last. Okay, yeah. yeah. See, so it's like they keep coming back to them. Um, yeah. One of the things that I really, and Lon's connection. Yes, and Lon's connection. One of the things that I really enjoyed, uh, I would say the most is that this this episode, this season, from many other seasons that I've watched, really showed how hard it was as a captain to make decisions mm-hmm. of like life or death, the needs of the many or the few versus yes. his girlfriend. And it's like, he, because you get, you get Spock having to go on a mission mm-hmm. while knowing that nurse chapel is yes. dead. Yeah. And they're having their big, their big romance moment that they haven't really defined. I don't think, but mm-hmm. it's still like, he's obviously extremely stressed out by it. And I, there was a good line is like, and they were like, Oh, if you need to take a second, he's like, I don't need to take a second. I'm thinking very clearly mm-hmm. the only way to save her is to get what we need to do done. And I'm the only person who can do that. So I'm going to do it. And the only way for me to do it is to think clearly. So, it's a, it's a big circle of logic that he kept going in. <laughs> and it is definitely why why you see Vulcans are so needed in situations like that, yeah. where most humans are like, oh my god, it's crazy. Um, but another thing I liked that even whenever, even that Pike knew that this was quote-unquote a suicide mission, he was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to assign you this, guys. I will only take volunteers. He's like, I'm not mm-hmm. going to force. That was just really cool and really shows it how Very much... Very much a Starfleet captain move. Yes, and just really shows, like, the more I watch this, the more I really dig... Anson Mount as Captain Pike mm-hmm. and just how he's really how he's really gotten into his like made this character his own and definitely. like in my opinion will definitely stand the test of time as a Trek captain and this episode yeah. kind of really set that in show for me like just like his this acting in his face of just like the dread of having to make these decisions and how much yeah. you don't want it to hurt or affect other people. I would say comparing Strange New World as a whole so far to other Star Trek that I've seen. Um, as for like any of the modern Star Trek, let's say, this is definitely my favorite. This blows the movies out of the water. Yes. It was something that I didn't really think about when I was watching those remake movies in the past 10 plus years was that they were fun. They were Star Trek in mm-hmm. the fact that they had the characters and they had the the names and the places and blah, blah, blah. But it didn't really have the spirit of the thing, which I didn't I don't think I really thought about until the second season of Strange New Worlds that I really started recognizing, or I guess the rewatch with you, I guess it's probably yeah. what it was, and I started re-recognizing, you know what, this is this is way more like the original series if it was made now, mm-hmm. you know, like, it, of course it's an extension of that by so many ways, but 
it, it's it very much modernized it, but stuck to its guns with what it is that Gene Roddenberry wanted this all to be. Yes, and and I agree. I, I think I said it to you whenever like you did your rewatch, and I was watching it for the first time. I was mm-hmm. like, man, it feels like I'm watching the next generation again because yes. that's like the last time I've had like you know yeah the next I, generation is my next favorite I would say yeah. this and the next generation are super close yeah and this is like very much that feel of like you know the movies that just like you're saying it had the names and the characters but didn't have the feel it just kind of felt like it was more of just like it was just a sci-fi adventure yeah a big Hollywood blockbuster with the name Star Trek on it which know? was fine you know, which was fine if the that, first two I really liked the third one was kind of boring but yeah but like this I haven't watched any of Picard because I've heard it's not worth it um, up until the last up until season. I heard season three is when they kind of write at the ship, but I'll wait eventually to get to that. But, but yeah, this 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 like Strange New Worlds has really kind of made me remember that feeling of watching uh, Next Generation whenever mm-hmm. I was younger. You know, yeah, I, I I saw the 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 Kirk stuff, but like watching like the new episodes live, I was it was Next Generation. Yeah. This is kind oh, yeah. of like that feeling of man, this is like this is like the good feeling and getting back into it. All these new stories, these new characters, and like. The things that that are in space but are definite allegories to the metaphors in our world today—it's yeah. it's so good, and they really nail that. And you get the silly episodes, and yes. you get the serious episodes, and you yeah. get the ones somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. I'd say the musical episode was a bit too silly, but that's yeah. still just going off of my own preference. Yeah, and and you know, I I I, I hate musicals. It was funny as soon as we realized that you looked at me, I was like, "It's a musical," and I was like. I could have been miserable, but I was like, you know what? They're trying something different for this. You know, it was, please don't do it again, guys. But yeah, yeah, let's not do this every season. I will, I, yeah, I will if, not watch those episodes. Now, if that was you, if that was somebody trying to demo it for Broadway and that kind of stuff, have fun with it. Just please don't do it in the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was really happy with the season, and I am very much looking forward to the next, which will be question mark because... You know, the strikes, yeah. The multiple strikes, so. And I've seen a couple people from this show out mm-hmm. on the picket line. So oh, yeah, it's... for sure. Was it like Paramount? Yeah, they would be. Well, and, and then I saw something that um, I believe the girl, Nurse Chapel or something, posted mm-hmm. that was like, she's talking about, like, yeah, like I had to like sell stuff to like make rent sometimes while filming the show. And That's I'm like, crazy. that is, that is mind blowing. You're, it's you're like, headlining the sci fi universe of pop culture. And, and, and the thing that I've seen a lot of people, I don't mean to get on the, this, but it's a quick segment of it. Yeah. But the thing that I see a lot of people, they get popularity confused with pay. Just because oh, yeah. you're popular does Big not time. necessarily yeah. mean you were paid. So just because we see her as one of the OGs as Nurse Chapel does not mean she is getting paid as the OG Nurse Chapel. Mm-hmm. So just something to think about. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. We'll just do a real quick Harley Quinn season four, episode five. Again, getting ice dick, don't wait up. <laughs> uh, it's it's mostly about Ivy in this one. It was um, focused on her in the fact of, I mean, I mean let's, let's say what it is, kind of being a sellout. Um, Ivy has become kind of a star in everywhere in the world it seems and everybody wants a picture with her and everybody wants to invite her to their club opening and blah 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 and and it suits her more i think than she even realized and so she has the running joke in this is she has the like three or four um i don't know like, like assistants PR like fe- people. like baby feminist um minions i guess um who are like her underlings who are planning all the like the bombings and stuff with her 
And they keep coming back at these events that Ivy goes to and every everyone she's dressed a little bit nicer in and fancier and like higher heels and stuff. Um, and they keep showing up and being like, hey, Ivy, what about this? And she's like, oh, oh, guys, not right now. I have to, I got to take these pictures with these people. They love me. Look at them. They love me. You know, and she's like easily eating it up. It's very much getting to her without her even realizing it. Um, and I think it's kind of to the point that even Harley's sort of noticed uh, they they she wasn't quite as much in this episode I think as Ivy was but I remember. Um, yeah, they, oh, yeah, this is really fun because it was like because the whole thing that Ivy was like I want to be socially conscious evil you know mm-hmm. originally had these great ideas but it's kind of funny and it wasn't like she didn't like it wasn't like one move she became a sellout they did a really good job of showing yeah, oh, it's yeah. like it was a bunch a sto- of little it was a things slope. yeah it was a bunch of little things it's like I think the first thing that really started to go out of control is they're like. Oh yeah, you wrote a book. She's like, I did, but well, we wrote it for you. Like, get all that, get her to sign <laughs> the, the book. The PR team, yeah, the yeah. PR team, just like putting all this stuff in front of her, and then it's like they keep shoving the stuff in front of her. She doesn't have the time to do the stuff that she wants to do, and then it's also really funny to see that like Lex was in that position and now he's not, and him with like <laughs> the really shitty hair plugs, like he got the Botox oh and he got like the, the calf surgery. Calves. Yeah, he's just so like. Somebody who was like, I need that spotlight, and then now he sees her, he can't cope with it anymore. Um, and then on the inverse, you have Harley, who's kind of like, who is it who told her, is like, are you repressing something? She's like, what? I'm gay for uh, Ivy. And she's like, no, you're repressing your villain side. And she's like, no, I'm not, and goes and beats the living shit out of these guys she thought <laughs> was kidnapping Babs. They weren't. They were just hanging out with her. <laughs> so it's just like really funny that both of them are kind of like, these are the lives that we quote air quote one. Oh my god <laughs> holy shit we what? were just talking about the tower oh i gotta scroll up for a quick oh, minute is that here relevant to this? it's so relevant oh interesting okay that's it's fun. so relevant that's funny the uh a survey of contemporary terror office reveal who trainers the tower is often seen as an edifice constructed from the strategies for shoring up the ego with things like expensive toys and social media <laughs> fame this is this no longer works when lightning strikes and you lose your job get evicted and your relationship falls apart the perfect life you've presented to the world falls into ruins the authentic life you denied or repressed can turn demonic that's the villain <laughs> thing right for harley yep, yeah. and uh i don't know what for ivy i guess the villain but not as popular for ivy can turn demonic and erupt with volcanic force. It demands you to break free and radically change your life. This can lead to gloriously renewed, authentic life or a descent huh. into chaos. Dude, That's... this happens all the time on this podcast where the tarot stuff ends up getting really connected into what we talk about That's, later. And this is not on purpose, but yeah, yeah. That's perfect because Ivy is literally becoming the thing that she hated because she remember yep. the whole time she's like, I'm not a corporate sellout. Fuck them. We're, this is all about taking out big corporations. Now she's literally running a big corporation. Because they basically <laughs> just told her what she wanted to hear and yep. kept her busy enough to keep her distracted and, until she kind of forgot about the other stuff that she was doing. And then I love the fact how um, even Talia has been kind of in her ear like, you know they're just putting this in front of you, right? Because they, they need you. Mm-hmm. you know, Kind of like letting her know, hey girl, this is this is all a sham. You need to be like me and be on your real girl yeah. shit. Yeah, I, I really, um, I, I, it gives me, I will say, it gives me a little bit of a bad feeling on the arc of their relationship, how it's going to go through the end of the season, uh, just because with both of them kind of hitting that wall, the tower of, they've been forcing things to go one way for so long, it's the only thing that can happen is for it to snap back and the rubber band to go and snap in the other direction and they get a little pain. And that pain, I just have a feeling, is going to be them having to split up and re-find themselves. 
But you can you know what I could be wrong and it, it could go the way that I would want it to way to go where they break off together, you know, maybe do the Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy comic series by Jody Hauser thing and go off on a trip together for a little bit and then come back and they're like, We got this. We're back, bitches are back, and we're most likely evil as fuck. I, I think I, I think it's something kind of similar. It's gonna like end up really chaotic and they're gonna have like, you know, an argument and then it's gonna be the thing of like build it up and they get back together. And then they're gonna somehow because i they keep showing him in little bits here and there the joker is mayor so i think somehow some way they're going to get him out and they're going to end up being co-mayors of gotham that's what i think is going to happen because i think I that because i think that's a happy medium medium for both of them because mayors aren't inherently good or evil they go either way and then it's something that both of them could literally walk their path of if i want to lean three steps here to the left side today i can mm-hmm. do that but then tomorrow i can go three steps to the right because i'm mayor Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that would just be really fun to see and just my idea. Wait, is that how the last season, another season ended? Like season one? See, yeah, Didn't Harley become mayor? No, the Joker became mayor at the end of season okay. one. Yeah, but it's that's why I think that something like that might happen again because they keep flashing back. I mean, it's not because they have Alan Tudyk as the voice and they want to use him as much as they yeah. can. But still, I feel like there's a reason why they keep flashing back to him and his like spotty mayor mayoral run right now. Definitely. Well, I think that's it for today. We'll be back probably next week. Um, and I think it'll be episode 105 before we talk Ahsoka, just because it'll come out on Wednesdays. So unless I skip next week's episode, it'll be 105. I have been uh, touching up the Jessica Cruz podcast, and I'm going to do my best to record that. Um, it's been a while since I've done some solid work on it, and so I had to go back and kind of refresh, and I think I'm good now. So the tech, the image post for that is already on my website. It will eventually show up. <laughs> it's it's gonna happen. I I know it's gonna happen. Fingers crossed. You know it's it'll happen. Um. So yeah, we'll see you guys next week or hear hear you guys. Same thing. Whatever. Have a good week. Stay cool. Stay hydrated, you hippies, and don't be an asshole. Bye. Keep it sweaty.